Oh, I don't know that the Americans wanted me back, but I also can't verify that the Europeans wanted me to stay. I might have been, I might have been stuck in limbo. Yeah. I could have been, I could have spent the rest of my life in Heathrow Airport. Nowhere to go. Hey everyone, and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. I'm one of your hosts. I'm here with Scott Melson. I'm back. Welcome back, Scott. Thanks, man. So we wanted to start by reminding all of our listeners about some upcoming events that we think you should know about. They're really starting next month in February. On February 5th is the State of the State Address from Governor Fallon. Last year was the first year that I went. It was really interesting. And you can watch online, which is which is convenient and great. But if there's any way you can take off work and come, I think that there is a, a value in being there in person because there, you've, you can like feel it a little bit differently. And it's especially knowing the that there's no love lost between the legislature and the governor's office. Last year, it was really interesting. And she lays out her policy priorities, maybe her budget plan and suggestions for where the state should go this year. And this is her last year, right? Like she is done at the end of the year. And so maybe she's swinging for the fences. Like she's got nothing to lose now. And she's really focused on her legacy. And so I'm particularly interested in what the governor has to say. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. It's, you know, I think state of the state is probably the most kind of, uh, formal, you know, pomp and circumstance kind of, you know, uh, event that we have in state government in Oklahoma. So if you have a chance to go, I think it's, uh, it's worth, it's worth going. I think so too. So it's, uh, again, that's February 5th, uh, which is a Monday and I believe it's at noon. It was at noon last year. We have a Facebook event, uh, on, and it's on our website as well. And I will update those as soon as I get confirmation of the exact time. I'm I'm pretty sure it's going to be around 12 or 12.30. So if you can be there, get there early to get a seat. It's always pretty crowded uh, in the House Gallery, fifth floor of the state capitol. After that, just a reminder for those of you in Oklahoma City. They have uh, Oklahoma City has a mayoral election February 13th. That's going to be a big deal. We've had the same mayor for, gosh, 20 years. It's been a minute. Mayor Mick's been here for a long time. Now he's running for governor. Four terms, right? Four yeah. Term. I think he's one of the longest serving yeah. mayors uh, in Oklahoma City history. So that's a big deal. Oklahoma City being the largest city in the state, this affects literally hundreds of thousands of people. Anxious to see what turnout's like. And uh, there are three candidates running. Uh, state Senator David Holt and two others who I their names escape me. One is a college student at OU and the third one I forget uh, this is on my list of things to research in the next week or so. So that's February 13th. And then and then our four capital days, we've announced the dates are on our website, letsfixthisok.org. They're also on our Facebook page. And those dates are, I'll tell you, February 22nd, March 28th, which happens to be my birthday, April 26th, and May 9th. And for that last one, May 9th, we are partnering with the Oklahoma Institute for Child Advocacy. Again, that is Child Advocacy Day at the Capitol. Uh, it's always a lot of fun. It's really interesting. And, I mean, by golly, if there's an issue that should be bipartisan, it is advocating for the rights and the health and the safety of children. One hopes, but as the current funding for CHIP uh, illustrates, that's even that's not always the case. Well, money... It's different than children, Scott, in the eyes of some people. 
But it's money for the children. Well, I know that. It's literally for the children's health insurance program. Do you think it's different when they're just looking at numbers on a page? Um, I think that there are a contention of people who just truly, genuinely don't care and don't really understand the impact that it has. I do think that it's certainly easy to look at numbers on a page without faces and stories and lives to go with it and kind of get lost. Um, sure. For sure. Yeah. It's easy to pull back um, and have it be not personal, impersonal. Right. Well, I mean, it's just like, uh, you know, the, you've got, you've got mail, right. When, uh, when, uh, Tom Hanks character says to Meg Ryan, it's not personal, it's business. She says, well, it's personal to me. Right. Right. Um, I think that that's what's, there are some lawmakers that look at these numbers and say, oh, I mean, it's not personal. We just can't afford it. We can't afford it because we just cut taxes to the tune of like several trillion dollars. Right. Um, yeah, so CHIP's a federal program. Yeah. Although here at the state level, there are uh, dozens of programs that directly affect children as well, which is why Child Advocacy Day is such an important important day. Absolutely. So we encourage you to come out. Again, those dates are February 5th for the State of the State Address, and that's the first day of the legislative session. February 13th is the OKC mayoral election. And then our capital days, February 22nd, March 28th, April 26th, and May 9th. We really hope that you'll join us. Uh, we'll have more information about those dates as we get closer to each one. Yeah, they really are. You know, they're a great time. It's a it's a great way to meet other people that are interested in in advocating. It's a great way to meet your legislators. Um, it's a great way to see the Capitol. It's really it's it's honestly it's it sounds like it's it's intimidating, but it really is a lot of fun. Yes, indeed. All right, so let's talk a little bit about what's been going on the last couple of weeks. We're still in the second special session. Did you realize that? I think I knew that, but I confess I was gone for two weeks and tried to forget a lot of the things I had been thinking about. I, you know, I was talking to someone the other day, and I feel like a lot of people, even those who are kind of keep their ear to the ground about state politics forgot that we are still in special session because they haven't uh, been meeting. There really hasn't right. been anything happening aside from these hearings for the state department of health. Uh, but to realize like, Oh, that, no, that's still going on. It feels like we've been in session for something like seven years. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, last regular session was so contentious and then the first special session was uh, equally contentious. And then I think, you know, it feels like, because the second, because of the Governor Fallon's veto of the budget bill out of the first extraordinary session, was you know immediate, and that she immediately said she was going to call for another special session, mm-hmm. even though they were separated by what like six weeks ish, um, maybe four four to six weeks between the two, it never felt like we really left. Right, right. Like it. Uh, I think I think that's part of it is that, you know, it never, it, you know, the the. Cigarette tax was declared unconstitutional relatively quickly. Um, we knew special session was going to happen after that. So I think that really just since about this time, it feels like we've been kind of wrestling with these issues and wondering what's going to happen for about the last year. Yeah. Which yeah. is a long time. <laughs> just keeps going. I think we've been in session for something like seven or eight months out of this year, which is unusual because it's yeah. only supposed to last four months. Yeah. And here we are, less than a month away from the start of the 2018 session. We haven't yet finished the 2017 session. And that means 
that we definitely could. The governor said this week that she was going to call them back once again to keep mm-hmm. working on this and that they can run them concurrently. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know. I really need to ask what what happens like, well, I guess everyone that's in office right now is still the same. Like it's all the same legislature. If it happened like next year, like people ended their term, but they had to get brought back. Could you have like two different sets of people, like two different teams? Yeah, I think I think you could. And I think that's what I think that's what would happen, actually. Gosh, yeah. That's a mess. Because it's because it's the seat that matters, right? Not the person who's in it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you just like if um if uh, if a lawmaker was to resign on February fifth, first the first day of the next session, mm-hmm. and the governor set the special election for, you know, sixty days from mm-hmm. then and then they were sworn in two weeks after the special election, you'd have a new legislature for the last six weeks of session. Right. Interesting. All right. So uh, has the have you seen, has the governor said anything recently about what she hopes for the legislature to do in this last couple of weeks? Teacher pay raise is the big thing. She came out yesterday and said, again, that she would veto any budget proposal that doesn't include a teacher pay raise. You know, this is the... I don't know how many, I don't know what number of veto threat that is from this is from Governor Fallon, but she's only done it once. Now that was the most recent time. Right. right? This, I mean, was, this is the third threat this year that I can think of. Yeah. And everyone kind of scoffed at her and, and tried to call her bluff until last mm-hmm. time when she vetoed. So not John. Right. Joe, oh, that's right. Joe, John, John Joe, Rourke did. Joe Rourke sat in, sat in my house and said she was going to veto. He earned a let's fix this tote bag for that that's bold a handsome, statement. It's so. a handsome tote bag too. So interesting to see exactly when she's going to call them back and how quickly they can get this done, or if they can. We'll yeah. see. I don't count any chickens until they're hatched with this legislature. And I sometimes don't even count them then. Right. <laughs> so the big news of the day is uh, the announcement of a new group, uh, a coalition called the Step Up Oklahoma Coalition. Did you see this story today, Scott? Uh, I did. I glanced at it. I have not gone through it in detail. Um, You're in luck. I, I have. You know what? I, you know, that's why I didn't. <laughs> I, we, knew th- I knew that you did. Divide and conquer. So the Step Up Oklahoma Coalition is a group of uh, the self-described as business leaders, and they put out basically uh, a plan of their, like their policy priorities, basically. And that includes... Uh, some revenue raising measures, and then some other like policy issues that they would like to see change. So, uh, in a nutshell, their their basic plan that they put out, their revenue plan, is um, to increase the cigarette tax by dollar fifty, uh, raise the gross production tax to Wells um, from two to four percent initially, and then for thirty six months, and then it goes seven percent. It's interesting to note that this coalition includes two heavy hitters, Larry yeah. Nichols and Harold Hamm. Yeah, I saw that. And there was an interview, I think uh, the Tulsa World spoke with Larry Nichols, and they asked him about the gross production tax line item, and he said, oh, I hate it individually, but this is part of a bipartisan, like a true compromise plan with things that I want, things I don't want, which is true. I totally agree. This is not the first compromise plan that's been proposed by someone, but this is a group that I think has had the ear of the legislature in uh, in other ways. So cigarette tax, gross production tax, 
uh, eliminating certain income tax deductions and loopholes, uh, a, a fuel tax, like a six cent a gallon fuel tax, um, some kind of wind generation tax. I think it's like a gross production tax for the wind industry, um, allowing Indian casinos to use balls and dice in their craps and roulette games. I didn't know they have to use cards for those now. So you like roulette is not with a ball on the wheel and craps is not with the dice. Uh, that one honestly just seems like common sense to me. And then uh, capping the transferability of uh, coal, wind, and railroad tax credits. So altogether, they are estimated they'd raise about $790 million, which is substantial and needed. Um, a number of these things are included on other plans that have been out there. Uh, so I've, I've started making a spreadsheet with this new Step Up Oklahoma kind of revenue plan and comparing it side by side with uh, other plans that have been announced over the last year. For example, the Save Our State Coalition plan, of which Let's Fix This as a member, the Restore Oklahoma Revenue Plan, which was the House Democratic Caucus. Uh, I will include, I think, Lieutenant Governor Todd Lamb had a plan at one point. I think Gary Jones, a state auditor who's running for governor as well, had a plan. Uh, Governor Fallon had a plan. I will, I'm undoubtedly she'll announce one on February 5th and we'll include that. You know, I thought this was interesting kind of looking at the, you know, looking at the other things. So they've, you know, they've got all these reforms. They, the, the revenue measures that they put in, you listed, they also have uh, 11 government reforms that they've put in there, things that they want to see change about how the state kind of runs. So and these are, these are big issues too. Yeah. So they, they've got a teacher pay raise in there. They're very adamant. They want to see a $5,000 teacher pay raise revise the state budget to reflect accurate numbers. I'm like... I uh, laughed out loud when yeah, I read that. It's like, <laughs> can you be more specific, please? Also, <laughs> also hell yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, <laughs> yes, I agree, but can you talk more about how they're inaccurate? Right, I would. yeah. <laughs> right. I, I have questions. Say more, say more things about this. Um, require line item budgets, um, which I think you can have a lot of debate about whether that's a good thing good or a bad, bad thing. Right. Uh, modify term limits. That's something we've gotten onto here on the pod a couple of times. Lowering the supermajority required to raise revenue. This is interesting to me because they are very adamant that they only want the gross production tax to go from 2% to 4%. Um, if you lower the supermajority required to raise revenue, I think it's a lot more likely that you get a you get that you get that increase from two to four, but I think it's also likely, more likely you could get from four to five or even, oh, it's certainly possible, even, even yeah. higher. So that this is a direct change to the constitution because that's mandated right now by state question six forty. Which has become rather infamous God, this year. State question six forty. That that guy. Yeah. So I and there's lots of talk about trying to change that. Their suggestion here just says we think this should change. This isn't movement to actually change it yet. So. Yeah. They want to give the governor a direct appointment power over the largest state agencies. Um, so right now, um, when you talk about agencies like, for instance, the Oklahoma Healthcare Authority, which administers uh, Medicaid, uh, Sooner Care. So the board of directors for Medicare, there are seven spots on the board. Three are appointed by the governor, two are appointed by the Speaker of the House, and two are appointed by the pro tem of the Senate. So I don't know, I don't know if Step Up Oklahoma is talking specifically about the Healthcare Authority, but that's just an example where they, it seems like they want to consolidate appointment power in the governor's office rather than have it distributed among you know, other officials. Right. They want to dissolve those agency boards. Likewise, at the State Department of Health, there's the Board of Health. They want to do away with the Board of Health and just allow the governor to appoint 
the director. I think she already appoints commissioners for a lot of state agencies. Yes, she does. Um, but, but 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 so do the speaker. So do committee chairman of certain committees in the legislature. So does the pro tem of the Senate. Oh. I don't know if they're wanting to pull some of those powers and put them all in the governor's office. I think so. And one of the things they said in the press conference today was that they recognize that the governor's position is a pretty weak, um, like governorship. Mm-hmm. And I think they want to make it a little more, uh, a little stronger to help balance the powers in our government. This also included, uh, of those state agencies, it also included the labor commissioner, which is currently an elected position, like elected by the people, uh, the secretary of education, which is also a, an elected position, and the corporation commissioners, which sounds, I don't know, that always sounds sleepy, but they oversee the they do a lot. They oversee the uh, oil and gas industry, uh, and there's, I forget, three of them maybe. Um, they are also elected positions, and this would make it an appointed position. They also want to have a budget stabilization fund. I'm curious how that differs from the rainy day fund that we already have. What's the difference between, like, what do they see as the difference there? Um, Are they wanting to just change how the Constitution mandates the rainy day fund can be used, or are they wanting a whole separate fund? I have an answer for you. It would be similar to the rainy day fund in that they could use the money to help stabilize the budget. However, it would be an endowment, uh, and then the income generated by the endowment would be used to stabilize the budget, but the principle could not be invaded itself. Interesting. Interesting. So it's kind of like more like T set, right? Where we, we have the endowment, there's the actual fund and then the profit from that or the income is what's used to fund the programs, but we can't use the actual T set money, money itself. Yeah. Yeah. Settlement money itself. Um, they want the governor and the Lieutenant governor to be running mates. Uh, rather than right, that rather than separately elected officials, right? Which right now, in theory, we could have uh, one from each party, right? But this would make it like the president and vice president right, ticket the is ticket. right. Uh, they want to change the process that's used to fill vacancies on the Supreme Court. Uh, they want an independent budget office to assist with eliminating waste. So they want to create another government office to eliminate wasteful government spending. And <laughs> wait, wait, hang on, back up. They want to create an agency to review agency waste. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that sounds like a very efficient private sector uh, idea there. Right. Um, is this is the uh, the party planning committee and the committee to plan parties. Indeed, indeed. Right. And then they want to allow voters to decide the structure of each county's government. So, I mean, when you talk about these, um, you know, the revenue, the revenue measures, and then the uh, uh, eleven kind of government reforms they've listed here, this is a, um, this is quite the list. This is not an. They're swinging for the fences uh, here. Yeah. What do you? I mean, what kind of looking at all these things? What really jumps out at you? Uh, so the first thing that jumped out to me was the comparison of the revenue plans with other plans. So you know the uh, the GPT increase, it's lower than other plans, and it is surprising because oil and gas companies are at the table for this. The fuel tax also has been proposed by a number of other groups and individuals. The cigarette tax, good golly, we've been talking about this for a year and a half now or two years. I'm surprised they can't just past that and i get why but like come on like everyone everyone agrees right i've been saying this since 2016 yeah we all want it let's just pass it i know that they want to use it as a bargaining chip and i get that but let's just get it in the bag and move on to something else that we can bargain about there's plenty of options out there um and also ending the coal credit uh which is 
interesting. They that's that's been in kind of a lot of plans, and I again that is something that is not traditionally suggested by conservative groups. This plan, I think overall, really looks like the state chambers plan that they yeah. put out a few months yeah. ago. Yeah, I think that even in the in the non doc article that I looked at, I think that uh, I think that actually Mr. Nichols even references that. Was it him? Oh, yeah, someone said, like, oh, yeah, we pretty much just use the same stuff. <clears throat> yeah, from, uh, so was, uh, Larry Nichols came and said this is, uh, uh, the reforms came right out of the State Chamber 2030 package that they that they worked on. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, he says, we all, this is quoting Larry Nichols here, we all want the same thing, good schools, balanced budgets, reasonable regulations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we started asking the State Chamber, why do we not have these things already? <laughs> We what ask are, those what questions are the, too, Larry what, Nichols. What are the impediments that our state elected officials have in doing the job they would like to do? To which I would say, well, can we reference the conversation that we heard you and Governor Fallon and Mr. Ham had at the 11th hour with gross production tax right. during the last right. session? They haven't passed some of these because you didn't want them to. <laughs> um, and so do you think we're at a point in this state budget debacle that everyone, even those that have been staunchly opposed to some of these increases are saying, all right, like let's, maybe we got to give on this stuff. Like has the egg cracked? I think that that is a very optimistic viewpoint. (laughs) I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know these guys and I want to be really clear here. I have nothing. I have, as I've said here before on the pod, I don't have anything against uh, Larry Nichols. I don't have anything against Harold Hamm. Personally, I don't have anything against the oil, the oil companies, right? Like the oil companies in advocating to pay the lowest taxes possible are doing exactly what you would expect of these companies. Right. The fault here is on the legislature not doing their job. It's the, the fault here does not lie with oil and gas. Right. So that's the first thing I would say. But in terms of your question, why are they jumping on board with some of these things? I, I think they may be scared of state question 795. So state question 795 is what uh, uh, Oklahoma Energy Producers Alliance, OEPA, is trying to get on the ballot for November of 2018. And this would change the Oklahoma state constitution to a 7% gross production tax on all wells, legacy wells, new wells, horizontal, vertical. It would immediately raise the gross production tax no matter what it is now. It'd be at seven percent across the board. Is it going to establish it as like a constitutional minimum, or is it? Yes. So my understanding is that this would be, this would this would change the constitution to say, this is what the state of Oklahoma charges for gross production tax. Mm. The legislature would not be able to modify that. The legislature not could up or down. No, they couldn't come back and say, well, we want it to be five because prices are down, or now we want to jack it up to ten because prices are so high. Mm-hmm. It's seven. That's what it is. What's interesting because, you know, a lot of what we've dealt with over the last couple of years has been um, the so-called incentive rate where the rate is 7%, but we've offered a special incentive deal for you to drill a well today. Mm -hmm. What is it going to take to get you to put a drill in the ground? Right, right. And so I think, so it would do away with that whole process. And I honestly, I mean, if you, if you, I think if you put a true serum in some of these guys, they're worried that 795 is going to get the signatures. They're worried it's going to get on the ballot and they're worried it's going to pass. And so I think that they're trying to say, hey, hey, look, look, we get it. We hear you. We came to the table. We compromised. We did our part. We've got skin in the game. We went up to four. 
Right. And and kind of use that as their... Back off, back off. We like, did something. You know, I, 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 that's, I mean, you know, that's me as kind of the, the cynic who is like, what would Machiavelli do? Um, that's, that's what I think. But maybe they are. Maybe they're, maybe they've had a change of heart. But I don't know why over the last eight months they would have fought tooth and nail against an increase from 2% to 4%. And then now... All of a sudden, that just sounds like the best idea ever. And maybe because they got a bunch of wells drilled, and now those drill those wells are producing. And once if they can get, I don't know, maybe they're just. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. All right. So, but, state question seven ninety five is the one that's being pushed by the OEPA. OEPA, the, not OIPA. OEPA. Right. And um, then we have another state question. Coming up this summer, state question 788. Yes, sir. June 26th. And that is the medical Medical marijuana. marijuana. So I've been talking to a number of physicians this week. You yourself are a physician. It's true. Um, And and not just physicians, but like nurse practitioners and other medical providers and getting their perspective and just kind of asking uh, a range of people from family and friends and professionals and Putting it out there of like, okay, well, if this passes, are you going to seek to get uh, some kind of approval uh, or get, you know, a script for medical marijuana? And it's been funny kind of seeing everyone's answers and, and really seeing their face change when they think, well, I don't know. I hadn't really thought about this actually passing. And so I think the outcome of this is still pretty up in the air. Yeah. I mean, I think if it was on, I think if it was, if it was, if it was on the ballot, uh, and the general election in November, I think it, I think it passes no problem. I personally think that's part of the reason the governor put it on the primary ballot. Turnout is always lower in primaries, um, so I, I, I think part of the reason it's on the ballot in June is to uh, depress the turnout and keep it from passing. I don't know if it'll pass or not, but because I, the people that typically turn out for a primary election are base voters. Yeah, yeah, and presumably those are more conservative, yeah. older in Oklahoma. Right. Yeah. But doesn't that also mean that if, if there's fewer people voting, that if turnout among proponents, those in favor of it, is just a little like it doesn't take as many people to make a bigger shift. That's 100 percent right. So if the if the supporters of 788 can if they can mobilize their folks and get them to turn out, then the thing could pass by a landslide. But I think if you look at what turnout traditionally is in a June primary in Oklahoma, uh, I, I think that it it would be kind of less likely than to pass in the general. Right. And also we're, you know, we're facing this with the backdrop of, uh, uh, federal attorney general, Jeff Sessions statement that the feds were now going to start actually prosecuting these things because federally it's still a crime. Even in the States that have passed it, they just have kind of turned a blind eye. Yeah. So the Obama administration had a policy in place that made it harder for, uh, federal authorities to prosecute these and pursue these and, and, and directly told them, made them directed them not to make it a priority. And that's what, uh, attorney general sessions is trying to, is, has, is reversing or has reversed. So I tried to interrupt you there. I'm surprised no one has branded this as like, don't smoke, don't tell or something like that. I mean, I think we should make the bumper sticker today. Although it would be, it'd be smoke. Don't tell. Right. Yeah. Or edibles or whatever. I don't know. I'm not, up on my lingo these days. So a couple other things uh, going on this week that people may find interesting. So we're talking about state question 795, which is the 
uh, state question to increase the gross production tax. Um, <laughs> and I think this is interesting because I think it involves some of the same people um, as the step up Oklahoma plan. So the OIPA, the Oklahoma Independent Petroleum Association, which is the kind of longstanding traditional uh, oil and gas lobby in the Oklahoma, in Oklahoma, um, has filed a challenge in the Supreme Court. Um, they made two filings at the Oklahoma Supreme Court, um, arguing basically that 795, as it's as it's um, worded, is unconstitutional, and that the language on the signature page is misleading. Um, so the crux of their argument is they're saying that because this um, the proposal addresses both education pay and gross production tax, that it violates single subject, and so that makes it unconstitutional. I was not aware that single subject applied to state questions. I thought it only applied to um, revenue bills in the legislature. Well, it applies to all bills except for the budget bill, because that by nature has to include budgets for all the agencies. Um, And the budget bill, I think, can sometimes include some revenue measures, but that was part of the the constitutional... um, That's part of... I think the lawsuits against some of the revenue measures last year. And, you know, this has been brought up um, with some other state questions. Um, For example, there's some folks that are looking into the idea of changing state elections for legislators to be like nonpartisan and a top two open system. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there was some question of whether that would violate the, the single subject rule. Yeah, and I just, I mean, this is kind of getting into the the legal weeds that I I can't really, I can't answer. I think it probably has a whole lot to do with how you phrase it, like how the, you know what I mean? I think it has probably a lot to do with how the question or the proposal is is worded. All right, has the Supreme Court and the Attorney General already ruled on the on their ballot title, on the wording of it? No, I don't think so. I think that this is... Well, if they're getting signatures, they, they, had must, to. they must have. Yeah. Yeah. So I hadn't heard that, but they must have. We've uh, got some friends at OEPA that we can touch base with and see. Yeah. We should get Joe Warren back on the show and kind of see what they're, see what's happening. Yeah. Or Mike Cantrell. He's mm-hmm. part of that group too. How good both that of would them. would be a hoot of an interview. So that's, that's one of their challenges. They're also saying that the proposal is unconstitutional because it would make the uh, increase in gross production at 7% retroactive to 2015. So because it's retroactive, they say that that's unconstitutional. They also say that it alters the separation of powers because it gives the board of equalization, the power to halt the legislative appropriation process for the whole government. If the legislature doesn't appropriate the raises that the proposal requires. So basically <coughs> 795 says you have to use this money to give raises to education employees in the mm-hmm. state. And if the legislature fails to do that, then the board of equalization would have the power to come in and bring the whole legislative process to halt. Right. Man. Okay. I, this is my hot take on this as a, just as a citizen, it is kind of makes me feel worried. I anxious, I guess, when we have all of these things where we want to have dedicated funding sources for all these programs, right? right. We want this to fund this and right. this to fund that, right. and that's it. 
especially when it's linked to a cyclical, volatile industry like right. oil and gas, yeah. where it's like this money only goes for teacher pay raises. Like, you great. should you should not rely on commodity prices to right. to determine the funding streams for something that you know you need year in and year out. Right. That's why those things are. That's why we use like uh, income taxes and property taxes and sales tax that are fairly stable over time, like year to year to year, those are stable amounts and that feeds in so that it can be, uh, can be a pretty stable thing. Yeah. I think the counter to that is, I think the argument is you have to do this, um, because we have a legislature that can't be trusted to appropriate funds in one that can't be trusted to raise appropriate funds and two can't be trusted to appropriate them in ways that reflect the priorities of the people of Oklahoma. Right. So the, the flip side of, of what I just said could be that we don't, at, we don't directly connect anything, right? We've got money coming in and then there's like a door and then the money going out and the money coming in comes from a wide range of sources and all goes into one giant pot. And then the legislature determines where it goes out of there, which which isn't really how the budget process in Oklahoma works. Right. That's, and, but and that's how it happens at home for most people, right? Like you get a paycheck well, and no, you pay this your gets bills. In, this gets into like, does, should the government run its budget the way that you and I run ours? Probably not. You know? And so, well, for, for, for me, at least probably not. Yeah. <laughs> I buy too much but, stuff on Amazon. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, I think we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, Scott and I are going to tell you a little bit about a new project that we're starting here at Let's Fix This. We are going to be starting a new education project at Let's Fix This, targeting civics education at really all levels. Uh, and we decided to do this last year because we made a video of how to enter the Capitol. And I got so many comments of strangers that met me in Tulsa that were like, oh, that video is so helpful. Thank you so much. It made it just feel easier to go into the Capitol. And I thought if something as easy as walking into the building resonates with people, maybe we should look at doing things um, really at the basic levels and working our way up. So like how to register to vote how to how to go vote, how to do that, how to find out who your legislators are, how to find their office, uh, and, and then getting into not just the how to do these things, but what are these things? How do you, know, how do you run for office? Uh, and then how do you have these conversations? And, and what do these things mean? Whether it's state questions, we've got a number of those coming in the budget. Um, how do you find out about candidates? All the aspects of civics that maybe we learned in you know eighth grade that many of us have since forgotten yeah well you know and you know i think everybody's everybody's seen the how the, you know how the bill becomes a law right i'm just a bill i'm just a little bill um you know civics government is complicated this is something that's come up on the pod um we've talked about it several times like mostly in the context of term limits that you know we have these these men and women that are elected they go serve four months out of the year and it's really you know about the time assuming they serve multiple terms they get reelected it's really about the time they're th- second, third, sometimes fourth term that they really kind of start to get a feel for how to move the levers of power for lack of a better word. Right. Like that, 
it's not as straightforward as you propose a bill, the bill gets voted on. If it passes the House, it goes to the Senate. If it passes the Senate, Senate, it goes to the governor. He or she signs it and it becomes a law. That's kind of the overarching theme, but there's a whole lot of stuff that comes in between there. Additionally, in Oklahoma, um, this is true at the federal level as well, but we're kind of focused, focused here at home. In Oklahoma, there are certain things like the budget that have very specific rules that govern how the legislature can and cannot appropriate funds. So as we're approaching session, we thought that it would be, you know, it would it would be a lot of fun for us because we're kind of nerdy policy politics wonk nerd people. Um, we would have a really good time researching some of these things and hopefully explaining them to you in a way that is interesting, engaging, fun, and makes sense and makes you have a little bit more appreciation for the process that our representatives and senators are going through when they're trying to work through these issues during session. Right. So we're going to produce these both as audio and hopefully as video for a number of them. And Scott and I have joked, we'd like to make a con Academy for civics, right? right. Um, trying to make it really accessible for everybody. Things that are easy to watch, quick to watch and really shareable. Um, so that even if you know what we're talking about, maybe your friends or family don't, you can share it with them. Yeah, the idea behind this would be a quick video. Maybe, you know, some that are as short as two or three minutes, some that are as long as 10, maybe 15. I think probably certainly none longer than that. But short little snippets that answer very direct questions. How do you do this thing? How does this process work? What does this phrase mean? Um, that that hopefully um, can help us all understand what happens at 23rd and Lincoln a little bit better. I think I'll try to insert the I'm just a bill <laughs> on Capitol Hill. You sure gotta climb a lot of steps to get to this Capitol building here in Washington. Well, I wonder who that sad little scrap of paper is. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Well, He's such a cute little guy. He really is. All right, well, I think that's all we've got for this week. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, if you like Let's Pod This, please go on iTunes or whatever uh, site you get it from and rate us because your rating helps us be more discoverable by other people and that boosts our ranking, and that's good. So please find us and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Let's Fix This OK. Scott is at SC Melson. Andy is at Andy OKC. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash let's fix this okay. And our website is let's fix this okay.org. On our website, you can sign up for our newsletter, read our blog, uh, listen to the podcast, and, uh, and find all of our events that are upcoming. We really are excited about what's going to happen this spring, about our capital days. We'll be adding other events as we go along, and we hope to see you at many of them. Let's Pod This is edited and produced and recorded by Scott and me, and we are a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network. Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization. We are dedicated to helping regular, everyday Oklahomans like you engage with your government in really meaningful ways. And remember, decisions are made by those who show up. We'll see you next week.